Well, good morning, High Point. So good to see you today. Thank you for those who are here, those who are joining us online. We're glad that you're here. Hey, anybody cold in here this morning? Yeah, we got a few hands. I have really good news for you. We're going to have heat next Sunday. You know, but the miser side of me says, hey, we've gone all winter without heat. Why do we need heat? Save a boatload of money on gas, but uh, I'm all about making you comfortable. So we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and get it fixed. Sorry it's taken so long. I told you it was going to be a long haul. They had to have some things fabricated. They came in this week. I actually thought we were going to have heat on today, but it didn't work out. But I've been assured we'll have it next Sunday. So like I told the early service, wear your shorts, your T-shirts, and uh, we'll be good to go. You know, at a wedding, during a wedding ceremony, a bride and groom, they, they make these, they speak these familiar words, with this ring, I thee wed, and a marriage is born. And a mother and father, they hold their little baby in their arms and they say, we promise to raise this child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And a family is born. A witness puts his hand on a Bible. A businessman signs his signature to a contract. And a friend vows to another friend to keep a secret. All of these things clearly show us that we are promise-making people. Marriages and families, friendships and businesses, churches and nations are all built upon promises. But here's another truth about us that's not so good. We are also a promise-breaking people. We say things like, I'll be there, and sometimes we're not. We say, you can count on me. And sometimes people can't. We say, you have my word. But sometimes we break it. We break our word for the sake of convenience. So we are a promise-making people who at the same time can be promise-breaking people. And something I've noticed that's quite interesting is how children learn very early on that us big people, us adults, don't always keep our promises. So whenever you see an adult making a commitment to a child, often you'll hear these words spoken. Do you promise? Because they know. Because to a kid, it is unthinkable that an adult would make a promise and not make good on their promise. Well, one thing is for certain. When God makes a promise, he keeps it. He is not only a promise-making God, but he is a promise-keeping God as well. He never goes back on his word, and that's something that we can all be thankful for this morning. And today we're going to continue in our New Year's sermon series that we've titled A New Thing, and this comes from our scripture theme for the new year, from Isaiah 43, 18 through 19, where the Lord says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, and he goes on to say, see, I am doing a new thing. We've just come out of probably one of the most challenging years any of us have ever faced, and the message to us today is clear, forget last year, look forward to this new thing that God wants to do in and through you in 2021. And so as we talk about not looking back, but instead looking forward to this new thing God wants to do, as I said last week, we have to understand that none of this is new for God. It is just new for us. God is all about mercies that are new, the Bible says, every morning. He's all about offering fresh starts to us. He's all about growing us and and making us stronger in our faith because that is where this new thing that God wants to do is birth. But sadly, many of us have never positioned ourselves to allow this new thing to happen within us. We fail to participate fully in God's plan and we haven't committed ourselves to the spiritual standard of excellence that he has established. Many of us have chosen to just kind of stay where we're at. We dig in our heels and we refuse for whatever reason not to draw closer to God. And I fear the reason that many of us do this is because we know that God's standard is high. And we doubt if we are able to meet that standard. But it's like I said last week, when you are being fed and washed and transformed by God's word, and at the same time being empowered by his Holy Spirit, You and I can indeed live meeting God's standard of excellence. And when that is your goal, when that is your lifestyle, it is there, my friends, where you will experience these new things that God wants to do and accomplish in your life. This series is from the Old Testament book 
of Malachi. You can go ahead and turn there now. It's the last book in the Old Testament, the one right before Matthew. As I explained last week, Matthew, Malachi was called by God to bring a message of judgment to Israel. So when we talk about not committing to God's standard of excellence, you've got to understand that Israel had totally gone off the rails. Sin had creeped in. God's word was no longer impacting them. They were dishonoring God's name, and they were even profaning God's covenant. You see, the Bible has another term used for the word promise. It is the word covenant, and it's a little bit different than what we refer to as a promise today. A covenant is not a statement about my preferred outcome. A covenant is a sacred vow. It is a declaration of the heart that says, this thing shall be so, no matter what. And so God knew that if Israel was profaning his covenant to them, that they were likewise breaking promises with each other. So God sends Malachi to reestablish God's standard of excellence among his people, to reestablish relational excellence. Because at the very heart of relational excellence is this concept of promise-making followed by promise-keeping. And so today we are going to set the standard for covenant-keeping by modeling what a covenant-keeper looks like. You see, at the very beginning of time in in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, 2, and 3, God makes a covenant with the human beings that he created. He promised to care for them. He promised to give them breath and life and food and, and meaningful work and relational intimacy. And in turn, God asked Adam and Eve to promise to obey one single command, just one. And they don't do even that. They break faith and they break covenant with God. And at that moment, I believe all creation kind of held its breath to see how God would respond. I mean, will he turn his back on them? Will he say that the deal's off? Well, amazingly, he doesn't. He disciplines them for their disobedience, but then he turns around and he makes a second covenant. He says, one day, I am going to send someone who will redeem men and women from the evil one, from the curse of sin. And of course, we know that someone he is talking about is Christ Jesus. But he doesn't say when he's going to come, when he's going to send the Redeemer. He just promises that one day he will. So our amazing God not only keeps the original covenant to care for us, but now he offers us, he establishes another covenant. But sadly, as is usual, human beings remain unfaithful to God. And it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. So God sent a great flood to stop all the destruction. But in Genesis 6, 8, it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God saved Noah and his family. And after the flood, God comes to Noah and he says, I will establish another covenant with you and your descendants and every living creature on the face of the earth. Never again will there be a flood that will destroy the whole earth. And I will give you a sign of this covenant. And God's covenant to to Noah was a rainbow. God said, whenever you see that rainbow, you remember the covenant that I made to you. I will keep a vow. I will honor my word to never again destroy the earth with a flood. But as always, the human race is very slow to learn. And once again, the people go in their own direction. And yet, God refused to give up on his covenant. So he once again came to an old man named Abram, and he says, Abram, I'm going to make a covenant with you. You're going to be called Abraham, and you'll be the father of many peoples. And I know it's hard for you to believe because you're 99 years old and your wife is 89 years old, but the two of you are going to have a baby. He says, you might be the only family in Walmart buying both Pampers and Depends at the same time. But you will be the father of a great nation. And I will also give you a sign of this covenant that I'm making to you. And the sign of God's covenant with Abraham was circumcision. And I can't help but believe that that old Abraham was probably thinking, come on, God, now you gave Noah a rainbow, 
but I get circumcision? Couldn't we have a secret handshake or something like that? Listen, I don't know fully why God chose circumcision, but, but there are many theories about that, but it was his sign of the covenant that he made to Abraham. Well, as usual, human beings were still faithless. So God came to a man named Moses, and he said, Moses, I promise that I will deliver you and my people from slavery. I will lead you out of the land of Egypt and give you, your descent, give you and your descendants a land that is flowing with milk and honey, and I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. And as, as a sign of God's covenant to Moses, he gave the law written on tablets of stone. And furthermore, they were placed in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And every time people saw it, they remembered that they were a people of a great promise and that they served a covenant-keeping God. But in spite of all of this, the people remained unfaithful. And yet God still would not give up on his promise. So he does send his son Jesus to come and to teach us about the faithfulness of God. And on the night before he died, he stood before his disciples and he held up the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. So the sign of God's new covenant to mankind is Jesus and his shed blood. Now this covenant still includes the old promises of God's love and mercy and protection and forgiveness, but what was new about it was that it's now written in Jesus' blood. Because the cross is the ultimate expression of God's promise to his children. In Jesus, God says, I will love you no matter what. And so I believe that it's important to preface this, this message today by the fact that God is not just a covenant maker, but he is a promise keeper. He is a covenant keeper. And there are three characteristics that make God an excellent covenant maker. Number one, God nevers, never enters into a covenant in a careless way. He never makes a, a promise or for convenience sake and then says to himself later, what was I thinking? God always thinks very carefully before he makes a promise. Number two, God never goes back on his word. It doesn't matter what the cost is or how inconvenient it is. God has never failed to honor a single commitment. He's never forgotten the tiniest promise. The apostle Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes, because God never goes back on his word. Number three, and probably the most impressive, God is relentlessly faithful to us, even though we are notorious promise breakers. This is amazing to me. Every one of us, we get into trouble, we repent, we promise to change, when the pain starts to subside, when the trouble starts to go away, we turn right around and we forget the promise that we made to God. We break our word to God and we break our word to others. And yet even then, God never moves an inch from total trustworthiness. Not one, because he is incapable of bad faith. <clears throat> Second Timothy 1.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself. Ladies and gentlemen, God has set a standard for commitments. He says, I will keep my covenant with you no matter what. He is a covenant making and a covenant honoring God, and that's really good news for all of us, amen? Well, let's get back to our friend Malachi. As we learned last week, Malachi is a straight shooter. He speaks very bluntly. And if you think he was blunt last week about offering blemished lambs, at the altar, wait till you hear what he says about covenant breaking. I want to read Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. I'll be reading this morning from the New Standard, New Revised Standard Version. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. You can follow along with us. He says, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? Malachi is saying, why do we proclaim the covenant which is so holy to God by breaking faith with other people? Husband to wife, parent to child, friend to friend, Christian to Christian. 
Let me tell you how seriously God takes this covenant breaking. Malachi is addressing the priests in this chapter, men who have broken covenant by failing in their commitment to the people. They made a promise to be spiritual guides to those who needed guidance. They promised to offer sacrifices and engage in worship, but they blew off their relational commitments. Listen to what God says to them in Malachi 2, verse 3. I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and I will put you out of my presence. One translation says, you'll be discarded with it. God says through Malachi, you offer sacrifices, you go through the motions, you worship, when in reality, you are a covenant breaker. Therefore, I will be as extreme as I have to be. He says, I will spread manure on your face to let you know how seriously I take covenant breaking between human beings. So God's standard of covenant keeping is utter faithfulness. And God expects our commitment to this standard to be dead serious. So I want to spend the remaining time that we have this morning looking at what I consider to be the key covenant relationships in human life. And I want to ask all of us to open our hearts to what the scriptures would say, allow the scriptures to challenge you to raise the relational bar of excellence in your individual lives, to pursue God's standard of covenant keeping, and not just covenant keeping, but covenant honoring in the commitments that you make and being true to your word. Because once again, when we do this, we open ourselves up to these new things that God wants to accomplish in and through us. And the first one I want to talk about is the marriage covenant. It's interesting that the single area that Malachi talks about the most is marriage. Malachi 2, verse 13 through 14 says this, and this you do as well. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor at your hand. You ask, why does he not? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God says you're coming here to worship and pray, but you're not getting your prayers answered, and you weep about that. Don't be under the illusion that your worship and your prayers are acceptable to me because I know the way that you are treating your wife is unacceptable to me. The same thing is mentioned in the New Testament in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, where it says, Husbands, in the same way, show consideration for your wives in your life together, paying honor to the woman as the weaker sex since they too are also heirs of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing may hinder your prayers. It's a very sobering statement that God makes in both of these scriptures. When you don't treat your wife like you vowed that you would treat her, then your prayers are going to be hindered. So Malachi is saying, if you break faith with your spouse, don't bother coming to me with your wish list. Don't even waste your breath. And then comes, I think, one of the strongest statements of all of scriptures in Malachi chapter 2.16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and covering one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to yourselves and do not be faithless. Let me just say to all of you here or watching online who are married, when you got married, you didn't make a bargain. You didn't make some kind of a transaction. You made a vow. You made a promise. We all entered into a covenant, those of us who are married. And the violation of that covenant is very serious business to God. Many folks these days view marriage as a conditional transaction. If you meet my needs, if it makes sense for me to stay married to you, then I'll stay married. But if you don't, if I outgrow you, if things start to get difficult, if I decide I'm not willing to make an effort, or if I get a better offer somewhere else, then I'm free to leave. But in God's eyes, 
Marriage is a covenant. And it's a promise that leads to a very different outcome. If you are married, you made a promise. If you're wearing a wedding ring today, I want you to take a look at it for a moment. Because it's a sign, it's a symbol of the covenant that you have made. Just like that rainbow was a sign from God that he would never flood the world again. And I just want to ask you, how are you doing on your covenant? How are your promises going? You know, all of us spoke these words before God and before our family and friends at that altar. We said, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death. And that was a promise. You promised to offer selfless love. You promised that you would be a servant to your spouse. You promised to share what you had with your spouse. You promised to laugh and to cry and to dance together. When you fought, you vowed that you would fight fairly and clean, and you'd make it through to the other side. You offered love that sinks deeper than crow's feet or laugh lines or a receding hairline or an expanding waistline. You didn't say, I promise to do these things if you behave well, if you stay attractive, if you live up to my standards. No, we all said, I promise. And I want to invite every couple in this room to sit down and to ask your spouse, how am I doing with my promise? Because you might be surprised what you hear. I'm aware that we all fall short. I'm aware that we must keep working to honor the covenant that we have made before God and the one that we promised to be faithful to. In March, my wife Lisa and I are going to be married for 24 years. And uh, neither she or I have taken the big exit. I know I've taken little exits at times. I've withdrawn when I should have engaged. I've gotten cold when I should have connected. I've hidden when I should have been out in broad daylight. And although we have a great marriage, the fact is that neither one of us is perfect. And by the grace of God, we have faithfully kept our vows to each other. And so to those of you who are going through difficulties in your marriage today, who have not divorced, I want to encourage you to remember the covenant that you have made. Allow it to motivate you to work at, at, at making your marriage a success, making your marriage something that is beautiful in God's eyes. Don't give up, because I'll tell you something very incredible happens to any couple that fights to keep their marriage covenant together. Before we came here, we, we were in charge of the young marriage ministry at Phoenix First Assembly, and we had a lot of couples that were going through a lot of difficulties. And when those two couples came together and made a commitment to each other and to God that they were going to see their marriage through, what you found is at the other end of the story that there was never a stronger bond between those two than what had been created through the difficulty and through the battle that they, that they fought to keep this thing together. So I want to encourage you to fight to keep your marriage together because God ordained your marriage. But I also know that there are people here who have experienced a broken marriage covenant. Maybe your marriage has ended. Maybe your spouse been unfaithful to you. Maybe they've been abusive. They've refused to change or engage, or maybe their it was behavior that was on your part, and now you're trying to rebuild a relationship that is no longer possible. So I want you to hear me this morning when I say that God does say, I hate divorce, but he doesn't say, I hate divorced people. And that's a very clear distinction you have to understand. The Bible does not separate the human race into two camps. It's not the good, respectable, non-divorced people and the bad, divorced people. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We fit into one category, and that means all of us. That means every one of us can be redeemed. So if you've experienced a, a broken marriage covenant, you need to receive God's mercy. You need to receive God's grace. So if you've experienced this, this church can be a very real healing community for you to be a part of. However, it is important that you do something else. You've got to reset the standard of excellence 
in your own personal life for covenant keeping. And this takes real effort. It takes character because here's what happens sometimes. People go through the pain of a divorce and they never reset the standard. And subsequently, they end up grinding through one relationship after another. And sadly, they engage in a lifestyle of serial covenant breaking. Don't do that. You need to raise the bar. You need to say, Lord, I am willing to learn from my past. I will take the time to get great clarity on exactly what went wrong. I will look hard at the areas where I have fallen short, where I need to change, where, where I need to grow. And I will get into a, a community of accountability like a body of, of, of like a church. And I will do whatever I need to be a covenant keeper. My prayer this morning is that you will experience God's grace and that you'll make every effort to raise the bar of excellence, of marital excellence. There's a second covenant in life between parents and children, and I'm going to call it the mom and dad covenant. This isn't like a wedding when you say vows out loud because when a child arrives on the scene, you don't have to make any promises to get them. They just sort of show up. And yet there's still a covenant there. And there are two clauses to this mom and dad covenant. The first one I'm going to call the reflection clause. I saw the comic strip, The Family Circus, when little Jeffrey was riding his tricycle around the house. And he was screaming out, move it, stupid. Make up your mind, you idiot. And the next frame shows his mother looking very disturbed at Jeffrey. And she says, what are you doing, Jeffrey? And Jeffrey says, I'm driving like my daddy. And the truth is, every parent starts to experience seeing more and more of them in the reflection of our children when we look at them. It's pretty convicting when you hear your children using the same whining words that you used during your last gripe session at the dinner table. But thankfully, we also see good reflections in our kids. We see good things come out of them that, that, we, that they've picked up from us, thank God. So the first part of keeping this mom and dad covenant is asking what would happen if my children imitated my actions on the road or my attitude with the clerk at the checkout counter that I'm frustrated with or my angst after coming home from a really bad day at work or my service to my church or in my generosity to God's work. All those questions are pretty sobering when you think about them. The second clause in the mom and dad covenant is the no matter what clause. And it goes like this. No matter what, I'll be there for you. I will love you. I will equip you for life. I'll feed you. I'll read to you. I'll teach you how to throw. I'll teach you how to ride a bike. I'll teach you about integrity and friendship and work and men and women, love and money. I'll teach you about what's right and what's wrong. Most importantly, I'll teach you about God. And when the time comes, I'll let you go with no strings attached, no matter what. You know, maybe your child is one of the brightest and best. Maybe they got wonderful grades and they embarked on a successful career and you sit back and you look like a genius. Or maybe your child has had struggles. Maybe they'll reject your values. Maybe they will run away from your home. Maybe they will defy your God. But you made a promise and it's a no matter what clause. And the only day that you will get released from it is the day that, that one of you dies. And really it is the covenant that is most like the covenant that our Heavenly Father has with us individually because his promises never end. And neither should our promises to our children. So how are you doing with this promise? Are you devoting enough time to your kids? Do you support your children's dreams? Are you providing enough toughness and discipline combined with love? Do you ever make offers that you don't follow through on? Do you say you'll do something when really you have no intention of doing it just to get them off your back? Are you teaching them to be covenant keepers? That's the parent-child covenant. The third covenant I want to talk about is the friendship covenant. The Bible calls a friend a gift from God. 
So if you have a friend, they are a gift from God. Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. In other words, they last forever. I've heard people say, I lost a good friend, and I think, no, you didn't lose a good friend, because if you truly had a friend who had been given to you, it was a gift from God, and that friendship cannot be withdrawn. It will and can last forever. So if you have a friend, we've got to take the time to cherish them, because they truly are a gift from God. It's important that we promise to be loyal to them, to never betray their trust, or wish harm on them, and it's important that we pray for them, too. We need to make promises that that truth will guide that relationship. We also, and this is really important, we need to grant them the ability to speak into our life. You know, sometimes friends can speak into your life because you won't let anybody else speak into your life. And, And they will point out the blind spots that you have that either we want to ignore or we just are completely blinded to. It's important to have that relationship and promise to care about them, to be there for them during their most difficult times of life. So how are you doing on your friendship covenant? How are you doing with the promise of loyalty and truth and caring? Is there some repair work that needs to be done in your friendship covenant? The fourth and very common covenant that we deal with is financial covenants. I had a friend who was involved in a business dealing with people that he trusted. But he later found out that they were not at all trustworthy. And when the truth came out, he almost lost everything. He was almost ruined financially. And through this whole process of being betrayed, it just ripped his heart out. And it left him wondering, truly, can anybody really be trusted? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because someone made a promise to you. They shook your hand and they said, you can count on me. But they broke faith. They broke covenant with you. They violated your trust. And you too now have a broken heart. All because people in the business world have broken faith with you. Let me ask you, even though all this has happened to you, do you have the character to determine and to say, even though I have been hurt, even though I have been betrayed by financial dealings, I will maintain an excellent standard of covenant keeping, just like God did, even though he was betrayed. I will place integrity above all other things, above profits. I will place integrity in my deal-making, in my negotiating. When I submit my expense account, I will use integrity. I will use integrity in the managing and supervising of those who God has entrusted me with. I will never make a rash promise. I will honor my financial commitments. I will never say I am on top of it when I'm not. Even when others break faith, my word will be my vow. Sadly, our world is full of people who don't take their financial commitments seriously at all. And it has become so commonplace that we've just kind of come to expect it. But let me say something. As believers in Jesus Christ, this is one area that we need to shine. It's in these financial covenants. Let's be a people of integrity in this vital area of our life. Lastly and most importantly, I want to talk about spiritual covenants. I'm talking about your relationship with Jesus as well as your relationships within the body of Christ. As we've learned through the Bible, even with the many covenants that God has made with his people, people have walked out. They have broken covenant with God. We get lured away by sin. And sadly, many people choose to walk away from their faith. There's something I want to say regarding this. You can fall into sin, and we often do, but there is no reason that you need to walk away. That is why God has given us his amazing grace. When you fall, when you fail, you confess that sin. And God is faithful to cover that sin with his blood. But there is a certain phenomenon that I have seen happen within the church in my years of ministry, and it's when you break, and when you break it all down, it's really driven by pride. It's when people make a mistake, they sin, they foul up, 
And then they worry about what other people think. Instead of continuing by believing what the scripture says, that God cast your sin as far away as the east is from the west, never to be remembered, people will break covenant with God based upon not wanting to face other people because of what they've done. In other words, they care more about what people think than what God thinks. Let me, let me tell you something. There is not a perfect person in this building. We are all sinners who have been saved by God's grace. And you may sin or you may fall in a colossal way, and you may be deeply embarrassed, but understand that we all are in need of God's grace every single day. I can assure you that others of us sinned on that day as well, just in a more private, in a less public way. And we did that by not loving like we should. And we did that by copying a rotten attitude towards someone or a situation. And we did that by belittling somebody. We did that by gossiping, by not giving our best effort at work, by not being completely honest about something or a situation. Sin is sin. And God has never put sin on a severity scale. We've done that on our own. So refuse to get caught up in this what will people think syndrome whereby you break covenant with God because you refuse to want to face people who you care about. And if someone has condemning words for you when you fall regarding a stupid, sinful mistake that you have made, then I would say that that person knows very little about grace. Not only do they lack grace as a social skill, but they clearly don't understand and have never received God's grace themselves. Because here's the deal. Once you have experienced God's grace, you will freely give it to other people. You'll learn to walk in grace. You will learn to be gracious with others. The truth is God will never break covenant with you. But should you choose to, you can break covenant with God. But my question for you is why would you do that? God has given you everything you need to live a life that honors him, to walk away from your past, to walk away from all your mistakes. He has forgiven you of your sin. He has empowered you with his Holy Spirit. So there's absolutely no reason why anyone should ever break covenant with God. God's covenant with you is unlike anything else. And furthermore, it is the most important covenant of your life and one that you should always treasure. And when you sin, and if and when you sin, God has a remedy for your sin. It is called forgiveness. It is called grace. It is called mercy. And because of that, you don't ever need to break covenant with God. And I want to talk about another spiritual covenant. It's about your covenant with fellow believers here in this church. Whether you understand it, whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, this church is a family. We are family because we gather together and we worship and we serve the Lord together. But you know what? Just like with any family, sometimes feathers can get ruffled. People experience misunderstandings with one another. People can get their feelings hurt. Welcome to the human race. And you know, God made us individually different for a whole lot of reasons. One of those reasons is to teach us how to learn and how to live together in harmony with people who have a different personality, a different approach to life than you have. To work through differing leadership styles, to work through differing teaching styles, differing worship styles, differing living styles, and the list goes on and on. I say all this to make my next point. Too many people find it way too easy to leave a church body for the most insignificant reasons. People will break covenant with a church, a church that God has inserted them into for reasons that should never be. Offenses that have been taken. Somebody didn't say hello to me. No one called me when I missed the last three weeks. We are a people that are driven by our feelings. And often our feelings get hurt for a variety of reasons. 
And believe me, I understand that. Do you think I've never had my feelings hurt in the church? The deal is to be able to look at your hurt feelings with some kind of a perspective. And I'm not just talking about the perspective of the hurt that you're feeling, but instead to look at it from the perspective of what would Christ do? Well, let's see. Jesus was betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. He was denied by Peter several times on the night of his arrest. Soldiers mocked him and they drove spikes into his hands and feet. Even one of the men being executed next to him, a common thief, actually mocked Jesus as he was dying on the cross. So let me ask you, did Jesus ever once say, my feelings are hurt, and I'm just gonna call 10,000 angels to come and free me from all of this mess? I mean, after all, I'm the son of God. I don't deserve to be treated like this. I'm offended that these mere mortals are, are abusing me and mocking me and, and spitting on me and killing me. I didn't sign up for this. And look, where are all the people that I ministered to over the past years? Where are the, the ones that I healed? Where are the ones that I delivered? There's not even one of them at the foot of this cross. What an unappreciative bunch of people. Not a one of them deserves me. I should just walk away now. Jesus didn't say any of that. He kept his mouth shut. He took everything that was given to him. He did not defend his honor. He did not defend his deity. He never once pulled the trump card and said, you don't know who you're messing with here. I ought to vaporize every one of you. He did none of that. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He didn't quit. He continued on with what God had put him on this earth to accomplish. And that, I believe, should give you and I great perspective whenever something doesn't go our way, whenever our feelings get hurt over something. It's not the time to leave. It is not the time to break covenant with people that you love and who care about you and who are aligned with you spiritually. It's a time when you dig deep and you say, rather than leave, I'm going to stay and I'm going to work out that disagreement, whatever it is with the person that I had the disagreement with. This is my church home. God has brought me here. I am getting fed here, so I refuse to break covenant with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Liz, will you come forward and help me close this down? Can you see how important this covenant keeping is to literally every part of your life. We serve a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. And he desires that we are covenant keepers as well. This is real serious business as we can see in Malachi with our Lord because it affects your marriage. It affects your family. It affects your friendships. It affects your business. It affects your church. Most importantly, it affects your relationship with God. And Malachi ends this passage by saying in verse 16, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. I mean, sometimes you need to respond to them with wisdom and with discernment. And sometimes you even need to confront them. But Malachi says you guard your spirit you don't break faith. Imagine for a moment if all of us were first-class covenant keepers. Imagine marriages where the spouse committed to offering faithful love to the other. Children who day in and day out had a covenant-keeping mom and dad. Friendships that were marked by loyalty and truth and faithfulness and caring. A business community that looked inside the four walls of this church and said, hey, when you deal with somebody from High Point Assembly, all you need is their word because those people are faithful to their financial commitments. Churches full of men and women of God who stay strong together and walk this journey of Christianity lifting one another up 
in encouragement and prayer and Christians who realize that they aren't perfect, realize that they never will be perfect, but yet they live their lives honoring God. And when they make a mistake, they receive God's grace and they move forward instead of retreating backwards and they stay in covenant with God and with others. This is what God desires for us, church. So as we talk about not looking back to the past and looking forward to this new thing that God is doing, the truth is that he's been doing it all along. We've just lowered our standards. So every one of us individually has got to learn how to raise God's standard of excellence in our life across the board. And it's especially essential that we do this with regard to our promise making and our promise keeping. Let's all be covenant keepers and live life today like there is no tomorrow. Because you know when we do that, God honors it. He honors a life that is lived with integrity and he honors those who keep the covenants that they have made. Would you all please stand to your feet as we close down this service? Through Malachi, God is challenging every one of us here today to reach towards excellence in meeting God's standard. And it occurred to me that there might be people here in the building or watching online who have yet to encounter a covenant relationship with Jesus. You've never received his gift of salvation. Well, you can do so this very day. The Bible says in order to receive salvation, you must believe and furthermore, you must confess. The belief part is believing that Jesus is the Son of God and that he came to this earth and he taught us about the Lord. He taught us his ways. He taught us how to love. And he died a horrendous death on a cross. And the blood that he shed on that cross literally covers, it atones, it erases our sin when we ask for forgiveness. The confession part is just saying that in prayer, in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. You say those words to him in prayer. In a moment, we're gonna pray. Anyone can pray their own prayer of belief and confession to God. And when you do that, and when you do that with sincerity in your heart, God will cleanse you of your sin. And when we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, now his spirit inhabits us. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit because God's spirit is now in us. And his forgiveness, along with his Holy Spirit, will guide and strengthen you to become a promise, not just maker, but a promise keeper as well. And for those of you who are already in a relationship with Christ, I want you to take this time of, of prayer and reflect on your own covenants. Are you making the grade? Are you fulfilling your promises? If not, ask the Lord to show you the areas that you need to work on in order to fulfill your promises and not just to show them to you, but to give you the courage and the strength and the know-how on how to rectify that. And I just want to say this altar is always open. We haven't been seeing that a lot lately with COVID. If you want to come down and pray at this altar, you are welcome to do so. Or you can pray right there from your seat. But I'd like all of us to bow our heads this morning in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this plain-talking prophet in the Old Testament named Malachi. It's pretty brutal, some of the things that he says hard for us as prideful human beings to hear what he says and sometimes it doesn't settle well with us but Lord we know that that not settling well is your spirit that is showing us that we are deficient in this area and it is our responsibility to address it and to move forward in a positive way God I pray that the heart's cry of everyone in this church would be Lord I want to not only be a covenant maker but I want to be a covenant keeper I want to live with excellence in my marriage, in my family, in my workplace, in business dealings, in my church, in the public. I want to be a covenant keeper. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. You would show us areas where we need to improve. You would convict us of times when we fall short and that conviction wouldn't just fall there and we'd walk away from it, but we would start to build towards changing things. And Father, I know through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will give us the ability to, to address these things and to move in a proper direction. Father, I pray for broken marriages this morning. I pray for broken homes. 
I pray for broken business partnerships. I pray for broken people in churches that are broken. I pray for those who have been hurt and are contemplating leaving the body because maybe someone said the wrong thing to them. God, give us the courage to speak up and to address these situations and to clear them up because that's what you would want us to do. Let not our pride get in the way of doing the things that you need us to do. And Father, that we wouldn't take any time to do them, but we would start acting on them now. And Lord, for those who are here or watching online who have yet to receive salvation, Father, I pray they would have the courage to pray a simple prayer. Acknowledging Jesus as the Son of God, acknowledging Jesus as the only way to God the Father, asking for forgiveness of their sin, and for you to give them a new life. And Father, I thank you that you are faithful and you will do, in fact, that. And then I pray that you will help us as a church to come alongside them in their journey, in their Christian walk, to help to strengthen them. And so God, as we go our separate ways today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct us, the things we do, the places that we go, the conversations that we have, let them be uplifting. Let them not be things that tear others down. Let them encourage and not discourage. Father, I pray that as we go about our daily routines, that we would be light and salt to a dark and flavorless world. That people would see your love shining in and through us and they would desire so much to have what we have and that we would lead them to the cross of Christ. I pray for opportunities for all of us to share your goodness with someone this week. And Father, let us trust in you that you'll give us the words to say because you always do. And when it's all said and done, Father, we will be overjoyed that you chose to use us. Let us not shy away from those moments, Lord, but let us walk through those doors boldly and share your goodness with them. And God, most importantly, I pray that you keep us safe until we gather together again. Keep us safe from COVID, from the flu, from sicknesses, from illnesses, from any other diseases that may come our way. Pray that you'll keep us safe from accidents, any harm that might befall us until we gather together again and worship you in spirit and in truth together as a body once again. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for your standard of excellence that can be met by us. And I thank you for challenging us to raise the bar so that we will meet that standard of excellence day in and day out. Most importantly, I thank you for the power that you give us to be able to do that. So let it be in our lives, Father. I pray and I ask in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today. God bless you.